0: News. This is Encounter on VOA. Here's Carol
1: Castiel. Welcome to Encounter on the Voice of America On this edition of the program, the significance and implications of Iraq's parliamentary elections. Hello again, I'm Carol Castiel. For the fifth time since the US-led invasion of Iraq in 2003, Iraq held parliamentary elections. Conducted on Sunday, October 10, the elections were hastened by widespread protests that erupted in October 2019 against corruption, failure to deliver basic services, and an electoral system perceived as rigged in favor of sectarian elites. The Tishreen movement, as it came to be known, succeeded in forcing the ouster of then-Prime Minister Adil Abdul Mahdi and securing an agreement by his successor, Mustafa al-Kadhimi, to hold early elections. The October 10 vote determines the makeup of the parliament or council of representatives who will then elect the president and prime minister of Iraq. Geneve Abdo, a visiting fellow at the Washington-based Arab Gulf States Institute, reports that the coalition headed by Muqtada al-Sadr, the Shia cleric who battled the U.S.-led coalition during the post 2003 occupation, appears to have won at least 70 seats in the 329-seat parliament, 20 more than in the last election in 2018. Preliminary results also indicate that the parties comprised of leaders from the October 2019 protest movement won at least a dozen seats and independent candidates, some of whom are aligned with that movement, clinched an estimated 30 seats. According to Abdo, the seats won by the Tishreen movement and independents indicate that the protest movement has altered the political landscape in Iraq. In addition, she and many other analysts note that the Iranian-backed Fatah alliance did poorly. According to results compiled by the Agence France-Presse, Fatah's current 48-seat advantage could fall to about 12 seats. Interestingly, one of the Tishreen movement's main demands was an end to the disproportionate Iranian influence in Iraq. For more on the results of the Iraqi elections and their impact on the future of democracy in Iraq, the region, and U.S.-Iraqi relations, we turn to two distinguished analysts. Ellen Lapson is professor and director of the Center for Security Policy Studies at George Mason University. That's a college based in the nearby state of Virginia. Previously, she held senior national security positions in the U.S. government. And Sarhang Hamasayid, he is director of Middle East programs at the U.S. Institute of Peace, His areas of focus include political and conflict analysis, reconciliation and post-conflict stabilization and ethnic and religious minorities. And both panelists join me via Microsoft Teams. Ellen Lapson, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Carol. Good to be with you. And it's a delight to welcome back Sarhang Hamas Saeed as well.
0: Thank you, Carol. It's a pleasure to be back.
1: Well, Ellen, let me start with you. What is the significance of these particular elections and the fact that they were held eight months early as a result of the October 2019 protest movement? Who do you see as winners and losers? Well, the
2: people who protested and who really have been quite fed up with the Iraqi political system, which they perceive as not really serving the interests of all Iraqis, should be both pleased and disappointed. To some extent, they are now in the game. They have seats in the parliament. That would be a minority opposition faction. But the general parameters of Iraq's political system, in which there's many political parties, lots of jockeying, for power and influence by key players. That hasn't changed. So they haven't achieved their optimal objectives of sort of starting from scratch and rethinking what kind of governance system should Iraq have. But they have made progress in being heard. The fact that the elections were held early, which was their demand. The fact that the elections were peaceful and apparently held in fair conditions and that they are willing to be part of the conversation now inside the parliamentary institution I think could bode well for Iraq in the long run.
1: Well, turning to you, Sarhang Hamas Saeed, especially in the context of Iraq's recent history from Saddam's dictatorship to its status now as a fledgling, if not fragile democracy since 2003, what do these elections say to you about the success or failure of the Tishreen movement, other factions, and even the future of Iraq's democracy?
0: Well, thank you. Well, I agree with Ellen's assessment. I think these elections are important. It is an important means for peaceful change. Whether they produced the results that the people wanted, that Iraq needs, that's a different conversation. I think just to remain in the positive lane, where we see a broader region where change is extremely difficult, and the institutions of the state dominate all aspects of life. The Tishreen movement, the October 2019 public protests of the Iraqi youth signaled that the Iraqi society has matured significantly, coming out of dictatorship from 2003 under Saddam Hussein to today, where you have a young generation out on the streets, peacefully challenging the status quo of powerful political parties. Many of them have armed uh, militias. So this change of forcing early elections shows the power and the will of the Iraqi people. The question is, can that translate into change? And what change can it translate into? I agree with Ellen, where the major political parties will not change. They will remain in control of the government and the parliament. But the question is, can their behavior change? Can they form a government that could be more responsive to the Iraqi people? So that's one aspect. The second, 2018 national elections produced two major political blocks that created a gridlock. Neither side could dominate the government and govern effectively, both sides armed. The hope was that this election will break that political gridlock. I think there is a degree in the change of balance of power between these different actors. You mentioned Muqtada sadr getting about 70 seats. That already shows us some of the shifts where the votes are going. But the government formation process was going to be complicated. And the ability of the government to deliver for the people, that remains to be seen.
1: So back to you, Ellen Leibson, to talk about those blocks as well as particularly the significance of the fact that Muqtada al-Sadr gained so many seats, what does that make him? Some are saying he's some kind of a kingmaker. And what about the loss of seats for Fatah Alliance? And some of them are crying foul because they lost so many seats. They are backed by Iran, Iranian militias. So the
2: two examples that you've given, which are, of course, two very important players, demonstrate that there's actually diversity of view within the Shia majority of Iraq. We as outsiders should not look at Iraq as having this monolithic pro Iran Shia culture. In fact, there are Shia political forces that are. Pure Iraqi nationalists, and they don't want to be labeled as sort of under Iranian influence. So I think that one of the trends, and we shouldn't overstate this, I think we still have to watch this over time. One of the trends may be that the pro-Iranian militia groups that had political representation have lost some popular Support and that Muqtada Sadr, who is a complicated figure, we cannot simplify what his long-term plan or message is, he has changed over time, but that Sadr represents a more pro-Iraqi identity force. But I also appreciate that we are perhaps seeing some signs of moving beyond sectarianism as the primary affiliation of how people vote. So to the extent that we see, for example, the Speaker of the Parliament, Mohammed Al-Halbusi, he created a political party called Progress, Takadum. They also did well. That's perhaps 40 seats in the Parliament. And they don't want to be labeled as having a sectarian identity. So to the extent that some Iraqi parties are presenting themselves as representing the interests of all Iraqis, this would over time be a move towards uh, looking at political parties as national competitive players rather than representing regional or subnational or sectarian or ethnic
1: groups. So back to you, Sarhang Hamas Saeed, notwithstanding the fact that for now at least the prime minister is usually a Sunni, the president of Kurd, and then of course the prime minister from the Shia community. Do you agree with Ellen, in the sense that it looks like Iraq is moving somewhat beyond these sectarian divides. You know, and of course, we have to mention once again that Muqtada al-Sadr, once a fiery anti-American cleric, is now equally, you know, anti-Iranian. So how do you see the current makeup of what will be the next parliament and uh, the implications for Iraq?
0: One of the spirits that reflected in the anti-ISIS campaign was a cross-sectarian effort to fight a common enemy. That cross-sectarian sentiment carried over into the 2018 elections and definitely continued in the 2021 elections, which is a good thing because prior elections were very much run on sectarian rhetoric and where each community, whether Sunni or Shia or Kurdish or others, which antagonized the others in their campaigns. We did not see that sectarianism in this campaign, so it's a good trend that we see in Iraq continuing. And the Tishrin movement also showed that to a great deal. In terms of the actual electoral process and competition, this election was mostly seen as actually competition within each community rather than a competition between the communities. So there was a fierce competition within what's called the Shia House, a fierce competition within what's called the Sunni House. Among the Kurdish parties obviously there are some big winners as we already discussed Muqtada Sadr got the highest number of seats within the Shia community Muhammad al-Halbusi got the highest number among the Sunni communities and the Kurdistan Democratic Party led by Masoud Barzani got the highest number of seats in the Kurdistan region what coalition do they form? We know from pre-election conversations that those three have been interested in some sort of a coalition. So that could give them a good majority or plurality, I should say, that could enable them to form a government. But I think if Iraq's electoral experiences have shown us anything, is that we could expect surprises until the very last minute. It will be a multi-month protracted government formation process filled with a lot of tensions and horse trading. So it is premature to really determine for the most part who will be prime minister. But it's clear that Muqtad al-Sadr has said he has the plurality of the vote, the highest number of seats, and his eye is on forming the government and appointing a prime minister. He's less influenced by Iran, but also in his history, even his recent history, there was moments, especially after the killing of Qasem Soleimani, where he found himself more in the camp that basically demonstrated and spoke against the United States. So true, he remains more for more independent Iraq and more sovereign Iraq. But Iran has a lot of leverage inside the country. We will have to see in the coming weeks how that leverage would be applied and if that leverage could be through nonviolent means where some balance in the political scene would be established.
1: You're listening to Encounter on The Voice of America. My guests are Ellen Lapson, professor and director of the Center for Security Policy Studies at George Mason University and Sarhang Hamas Saeed, from whom you just heard. He's director of the Middle East programs at the U.S. Institute of Peace. And we're discussing the significance and ramifications of the recent parliamentary elections in Iraq. This is a reminder that our Encounter podcast is available on our website at voanews.com encounter. You may also follow us on Twitter or connect with us on Facebook at Carol Castiel VOA. Well, here's a shout out to a Facebook follower, Afzal Masih from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. If you want to hear your name and home country on the air, please send an email to encounter at voanews.com or like us and leave a comment on our Facebook page. So back to our discussion about elections in Iraq. So back to you, Ellen Lapson. Let's go to the impact on the region. You know, it's probably early days. We don't have the formation of the government yet. Nonetheless, based on the elections, the relative peaceful way in which they were held, what kind of impact do you think it has on the region, particularly Iraq's role as a mediator between rival Saudi Arabia and Iran?
2: Well, I was just going to mention that Iraq has managed to restore some of its previously significant role as a regional power player in the long period after 2003, or even you could argue the decade of the 90s, when Iraq was very isolated by sanctions after its invasion of Kuwait. Iraq had been one of the pillars, along with Damascus and Cairo and Riyadh, if you will, of a real power center in the region. And slowly but surely, Iraq has regained some of its respect and some of its you know influence in the region so you've mentioned one of the fascinating examples which is the Iraqi both intelligence service and foreign ministry playing a role in enabling or facilitating a dialogue between Iran and Saudi Arabia and i think the Iraqis would also like to play a role in US Iran relations to the extent possible if there were any need for discreet talks as we try to you know approach the Iranians diplomatically over the possible return To the joint nuclear agreement. So, my impression is that the Iraqis are very pleased with these regional trends. Whether Iraq's parliamentary elections inspire either imitation or admiration from any of Iraq's neighbors, I think is a little bit hard to say. Every country in the Middle East is in a very different place along the spectrum towards liberalization and political reform. Obviously, Iraq is surrounded by countries that are not stable democracies for the most part. So I don't know whether Iraq is becoming a more positive model for regional states, but more importantly, the country is largely peaceful, you know, even though there's a lot of contestation and sometimes street demonstrations in Iraq, it is still a far cry from what it had been for more than a decade after Saddam was removed from power. So we see Iraq stabilizing and able to play a more, you know, effective role in the region. And as we've pointed out, Iraq's relations with Iran are just a permanent feature of its geography. But Iraq can play this bridging role, I think, between Iran and the Arab world more broadly. So if Iraqi leaders as individuals are respected and seen as competent, I think that will only strengthen Iraq's uh, regional influence.
1: So the same question to you, Sarhang Hamas Saeed, to what extent you think maybe Iraq will be playing a greater bridging role in the region between Iran and Saudi Arabia and perhaps even a bridging role between the United States and Iran?
0: So I think what Iraq can do for the region starts first inside Iraq, a stronger Iraqi state that can protect its sovereignty and that it is not a battleground for proxy battles of the regional actors in itself will positively reflect on the region and it will not be a security threat to its neighbors. So that's good. The second thing, hosting these dialogues, whether direct dialogues between Saudi Arabia or Iran or like the summit that was held a couple of months ago that involved Iraq's neighbors and French President Macron participated or Iraq basically, convening and forming an economic cooperation with Jordan and Egypt. There are different lanes that the Iraqi state is getting reconnected with the rest of the region. But also what remains to be seen is the impact of change. The Iraqi youth coming to the streets in October 2019 and the change that they have forced since then. A prime minister resigned, new electoral law was adopted, a new federal Supreme Court was reactivated, early elections were formed. Now we see actually in the Iraqi constitution guarantees a quota for women. They had 83. Now in this election, that number increased to 97. So that's also a signal so that youth activism, the increased women participation could be positive signals to the rest of the region.
1: Well, fascinating information you both provided. Let's move to now U.S.-Iraqi relations, Ellen Lapson. What do you think this election means for U.S.-Iraqi relations and particularly the uh, U.S. troop presence?
2: Well, I think the troop presence issue is in very active mode right now of whether a further drawdown of our military presence in the country is clearly being negotiated. I think everybody is well aware that the drawdown that took place in the Obama administration created a vacuum and ISIS then saw Iraq as free space for them to operate in. So there's a deep, deep awareness that we don't want to trigger some kind of a reversal in Iraq's capability to manage and defend its territory. So I assume counterterrorism cooperation will continue to be a robust pillar of the bilateral relationship. In general, I think the Iraqis probably feel that they wish they had a little more attention from Washington. They had enjoyed a lot more access to the Oval Office in the Bush administration, and I think have generally felt that it's a little bit harder to get the attention of very senior people in Washington. And yet, we have regenerated the strategic framework agreement, which allows for bilateral cooperation in lots of different sectors, energy, education, health, technology, et cetera. So now that Iraq is relatively stable, there are wonderful opportunities to build programmatic activity and, you know, to promote more bilateral cooperation. So there's a lot going on at the middle ranks, but I think sometimes the Iraqis wish they were as important to us as they once were. It is worth noting that President Barham Saleh did meet with President Biden on the margins of the UN General Assembly. So that's very important, symbolic, you know, head of state contact that has now taken place. Prior to that, they were exchanging messages, but uh, didn't have that personal encounter. So that's a good sign. But in general, I think the Iraqis, we're clear that the foreign policy of the United States is trying to a little bit de-escalate from its deep engagement in the Middle East and focus more on the, the new geopolitics of the Asia-Pacific region. So um, I think the Iraqis are not the only Arab country to feel a little bit of it's harder to get Washington's attention. But at the professional levels, my impression is the uh, American diplomats are very supportive and complimentary about the conduct of these elections and you know want to remain very engaged in supporting Iraq in both its political and economic and security requirements.
1: So turning to you, Sarhang, what do you think these elections mean for U.S.-Iraqi relations? Of course, the fact that Muqtad al-Sadr came out with so many seats and he was so anti-American perhaps is mitigated by the fact that he is equally anti-Iranian, that might not sit too badly with the Americans. What do you think their reaction is? And, you know, as it said, what does it bode for U.S.-Iraqi relations?
0: Yeah, I think I wouldn't probably characterize Muqtada sadr as equally anti-Iranian. He has definitely strong relations with Iran. And I think his views about the United States has evolved quite a bit since the 2004, 2005, 2007 years where there was some active fighting the militia that he was supporting attacked the U.S. forces. Where he is now, he has recognized that he and others, the Shia leadership, recognized that the United States is important for Iraq economically in terms of state building, counterterrorism, but also important for Iraq in the international forums, whether the United Nations, the World Bank, and IMF, and other places. So they do like that stable relationship to continue. And I think Muqtada Sadr will probably, and he said it in his kind of victory speech, where he said all foreign embassies are welcome as long as they don't interfere in the business of Iraq. So I think he has signaled that a balanced relationship, diplomatic relationship, that could be maintained even if his coalition appoints a prime minister. The other aspect of it, he has not been supportive of the attacks So Sadr has not been supportive of the attacks that were targeting diplomatic missions and the Iraqi bases that have been hosting U.S. troops and coalition troops. So that is also a dominance of his political coalition could lead to probably strengthening the hand of the state to tackle those threats more seriously. And the United States definitely has an interest in positive relations with Iraq and supporting the Iraqi state and Iraq uh, strengthening. The U.S. government has been clear that they have not signaled any favorability to any candidate or any group. They supported the electoral process through the Security Council, through the U.N. mission and uh, the U.N. monitors, but they have not been a direct player. And I think that helped the electoral process not to be polarized. And that's a positive thing. And the point about where Iraq stands in the region that is not necessarily getting the same attention and in the past, Prime Minister Kavamee was received in the White House in a span of a year twice by the Trump administration and the Biden administration. And I think the administration would be uh, willing to engage with the future government uh, with high interest. And it's an important pillar of its engagement in the Middle East. Whether the issue of the troops, probably the Fatih movement and others, the pro-Iran group not receiving the kind of high number of seats, that they were hoping for probably reduces the risk of the parliament voting for a law that will push the u.s out there is a non-binding resolution from the parliament that asks the government of iraq to get all foreign troops out the fear was if the pro-iran group dominates they may change that non-binding resolution to a binding resolution for the government but now i think that risk has decreased but tensions could still be there because the armed groups that are out there, they still have the missile capabilities. Then that stronger state in Iraq may turn the heat and the tension between the Iraqi state and those groups. And that is something we cannot predict, but that's a possibility.
1: While the uh, parliament looks at forming the new government and voting for prime minister and president, do you expect there may be some unrest, whether on the protesters' side or perhaps from the Fatah alliance
0: So the public anger, frustration with the political elite is certainly there. A spark could put them into the street again, but I think they may give the chance to the government formation and see what it will produce. So I think the new government will have a few months to demonstrate. And I think the street will react if the results of the elections will be respected and a government starts to signal that they care for the people and they will take action that will calm the people down. But there are a lot of armed actors and the people are impatient. So there are two vulnerabilities there to Iraq's stability.
1: A lot at stake in Iraq. And that's a story we will be sure to continue to follow. But for now, that's all the time we have on this edition of Encounter. I'd like to thank my guests, Ellen Lapson, professor and director of the Center for Security Policy Studies at Georgia Basin University and Sarhang Hamas Saeed. Director of Middle East Programs at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Encounter was produced in Washington with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Join me again next week for another Encounter on The Voice of America.